You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most influential and successful experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Welcome to another episode of the Dietetic Leader Series, featuring some of the most renowned dietitians. We'll explore their experiences and discover how collaboration, dreaming big, and seizing every opportunity are key ingredients to success in this profession. Hello to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew, and I'm a student dietitian at the University of Queensland. Joining me today is the famous Professor Sandra Capra, who is the Academic Director of Human Movement and Nutrition Sciences and is the Professor of Nutrition at the University of Queensland in Australia. Professor Sandra Capra is a Fellow of the Dietitians Association of Australia. She holds the position of President of the International Confederation of Dietetic Associations, as well as the Conjoint Professor of Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Newcastle. In addition, Sandra is a member of the Dietitian Connection Scientific Advisory Board. Hello, Sandra. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Nice to be here. Sandra, it's great to have you on the show. And um, I have had the privilege of being taught by you in the Master of Dietetics at the University of Queensland. But I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about your career and getting a bit more of an insight into your experiences. So I know that in the past, you've held a number of senior dietetic positions, both in Australia and overseas. And you've served on many national committees, including those setting the nutrient reference values for Australia and New Zealand and also the dietary guidelines for Australia. But could you give us an insight into the highlights of your career so far? Oh, well, I've had a very long career uh, both in practice and in academia. So I've done 15 years in practice as well as uh, more than 25 years in academia, in uh, dietetics education and much broader than that as well. I've done allied health uh, much more generally as well as dietetics. So across that time, there's been um, many, uh, I would say, many highlights. And most of your listeners would probably not, who have met me, would probably not believe this, but I actually never intended to be a career person and uh, a lot of what's happened to me has happened by accident if you wish but some of the things that really um, made me uh, very proud I guess if you like and our big highlights of the day for example I got the letter uh, stating I was being awarded a uh, member of the Order of Australia for my contribution to nutrition and dietetics, um, which was a very proud moment because that's actually about peers. You have to be nominated by um, somebody from the community. It's done um, uh, without your personal knowledge. I had absolutely no knowledge until that letter arrived. But other ones in terms of practice, the day that I took over the food services at Princess Alexandra Hospital and um, made a a difference, I made a a significant difference to my mind when that happened because there was, at that time, there was over 1,200 beds at Princess Alexandra Hospital and 
by taking the food services and improving them, I helped more than a thousand people every day. And in many ways, that's that's more than I'd ever done in uh, the work I had done in um, in I guess uh, cl- in my clinical life as well. I had been a clinical dietitian uh, both here in Australia and overseas as well so you know there's some but there's there's many other things i've i've done a lot of work in in terms of um setting up research for dietitians in in queensland so the very first phds that uh in dietetics in queensland uh marie ferguson was one of those and judy porter was the other those two were the first people ever to have a a phd in dietetics from, from the state of Queensland, I was their supervisor and had um, secured scholarships for them so they could finish or undertake a PhD. So those were some of, some of the highlights. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you also completed your Master's in Social Science from the University of Birmingham. So could you tell us a little bit about this and how it influences or enhances your work as an international dietetic leader? Well, I did that because at the time I anticipated returning to New Zealand. (laughs) Um, So I had gone to the United Kingdom from New Zealand and I anticipated returning to New Zealand as a chief dietitian. And so I undertook that master's degree. It was from a place called the Institute of Local Government or INLAGAV at the time. And it was based, um, it was taught basically by social scientists as the time, as the name implies, but it was focused on strategic planning, corporate planning, health service planning. And um, in the United Kingdom, those are under the control of um, the local government. In, In the United Kingdom, there's only two levels of government. So local government acts like a state government does here. And uh, I was doing that in order to equip myself to return as a manager in the systems uh, to give me a better understanding of, um, of how to go about bringing in change. So it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't from a management theory point of view. It was very much from a policy and planning, uh, equity, uh, sociological perspective on how services were developed and delivered and how you might um, work on improving those services. So that that was an interesting degree, I have to say, because it, um, it was taught in a style which was completely foreign to me, um, very much in what the United Kingdom uses a tutorial style. So it taught you to think on your feet, to get an opinion out coherently, to get an argument out coherently, uh, which you could substantiate and hold your ground against others arguing against you, allowed you to think and go, right, this is the best way forward. Thanks, Sandra. That's very interesting. So could you tell us what you're up to at the moment and what does a typical day look like for you at this point in time? 
Well, um, I'm an academic and I'm um, at the end of my career and I'm actually um, a senior academic. So I've held far more senior positions than I currently hold and I've elected to uh, sort of come down, if you wish, in the academic world. So I'm what's called a TNR academic, so I do teaching and research. And so I have to do both of those. But in I'm also um, a, a professor at this university and in my school the professors hold uh, other duties they have to do as well, which... Um, which is really around academic management, if you wish. So there's no such thing as a typical day, and that's actually one of the, I guess, some of the advantages of, of an academic career, but they're also tension-filled. So I prepare and update materials. Um, I spend probably some of every day doing that. At the moment we're updating the curriculum here for dietetics, we're bringing in the new competencies and we're bringing them in um, um, like ahead of the game, if you wish, and we're trying to do quite a few things on that. In terms of research, I supervise uh, research high degree students and I try to develop research projects and I support other staff. So today, for example, um, I've just been at a PhD confirmation, one of my students going to confirmation um, into her into her research program. Um, I do leadership across the school. Uh, I assist, uh, I do work on programs and quality assurance and the teaching and learning issues right across the school. Uh, I sort of um, double check that everything is compliant with the university's policies. Uh, so that, that right at the moment, for example, I'm finalising internal program reviews, nothing to do with dietetics. I'm working on the QTAC offers, which are due to come out next week. I'm assisting staff in personal goals who are trying to um, put forward arguments for why they should be on the permanent staff or not, preparing, um, working on staffing issues across the school and recruitment issues. Uh, from uh, I, I often uh, work as acting head of school if the head of school's away and next week I'll be doing some of those activities as well which means I look after a bit of money and things like that. So it's very varied. And Sandra, could you tell us about your role as a member of the Dietitian Connection Scientific Advisory Board? Well, as as the name implies, we provide advice to Dietitian Connection and we do reviews on materials that are or questions or topics or things that Dietitian Connection might be considering including on the website. So um, let's say... A particular product is there and they want to um, advertise or they want to provide some material in, in some form, the scientific committee uh, might review that material and, and look for whether they have openly distorted the science or things like that. Could you tell us about the challenges you have been faced with, either now or in your previous roles, and how you have overcome these challenges? Well, these these uh, well, there's lots of challenges in the system, and if you're talking about 
at the currently at a place like a university at this particular university some of the tensions are created by the centralization of decisions and decision making which disempowers uh, the staff at the school level and that causes um, quite a bit of tension in the system when you're um, that can do but in in terms of uh, previous life and, and practice, there was always um, tension between um, aspirations, what you might want to do, and the system itself. So I'm not talking about bureaucracy now, uh, specifically, but sometimes, sometimes the system itself is not set up to encourage innovation and change. And that means that when that happens, those people who want to bring changes about it can be quite frustrating when you are not permitted to do so. So those are the sorts of things that I think create most of the tension. At a university level, um, the work is um, its a quantum of work and I personally work on outcomes and the staff that I work with I like them to work on outcomes so that, and the, the difficulty with that is it becomes how long's a piece of string. And it becomes that you can spend hours doing, you know, preparing one class and that's okay. And the university says, well, good on you, but you still have to do all the other work as well. So a lot of tension and challenges arise is about how to get everything actually done and done to your personal standard and on time. And that's quite challenging about how to let go, how to um, accept what you might consider to be a little bit of a second-class job. You know, that's very hard. Okay, yes, I do know from the classes you have taught that you are very outcome-focused, so thanks for that, Sandra. So I'm going to go ahead and say that you are the leader of nutrition and dietetics in Australia. <laughs> yes, all right. So what do you do to ensure you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Uh, well, I take on new tasks. Uh, I... Um, I never tend to do the same thing twice, which is quite irritating for everybody else. But what it does is it gives you the uh, experience of trying to bring about change and what works, what doesn't, which I think is quite important. Uh, I change what I call positions quite regularly. So while I don't change employment necessarily, I change what I do within that employment. So uh, I'll take on, so at the moment, for example, I'm the academic director here in the school. I've taken on a lot of responsibility around the teaching and learning uh, domain of the, of the school here across our, our various disciplines and the like and working with staff. But I'll take on other things. I'll give this a try. I'll give that a try. I also do a lot of uh, professional development and uh, meetings, but I'm getting a little mature, so I don't do as much. But over my lifetime, I have done multiple leadership courses, both in community work in uh, and at the university uh, and in terms of women. So I've done women's leadership programs. I've done... Um, 
I've done a lot of work in community groups where I've done their leadership programs and I've done academic management and leadership programs as well. So Sandra, you are a proactive leader and you're also a mentor to many dietitians. Why do you think mentorship is so important for the dietetic profession? Okay, well, I think I think it's a couple of things. Dietetics can be a profession where you might be working on your own and or you might be um, working in an area which is unfamiliar to you regardless. So that's the, that's the first thing, that the, the very nature of the work uh, can be quite um, individualistic, if you wish. Secondly, I think there's been a... Um, uh, a tendency for some dietitians to be perfectionists, reductionists, and to, to want to be perfect and to want to be correct all the time. And who there's also a particularly for new graduates, there's a, there's a there's an element of naivety that can be around. Now, I think none of that's none of that's an issue in itself, but I do think that mentors and mentorship <clears throat> helps to get decisional balance and I think it helps you get a perspective and to get new ideas and perspectives. So if you're working in an area where you're not quite so confident, rather than trying to be perfect, having a mentor who can help you going, well, this is what you could try first or, you know, yep, that was quite good next time. It, you know, I think that helps build the confidence and expertise that you need. So I do think it's uh, it's a very important aspect of the profession now to have good mentors. And I personally have a, a little group of very set, well, people who were once possibly my students, but they haven't been my students for decades and are now um, very, very important colleagues who go, well, you know, that's a little bit too far out of the, outside the, the bounds, Andrew, you know, pull your head in, um, you know, no, I don't think this, oh, I think you could try that or have you looked here. I've, I personally find it quite helpful still. Well, you've come up as an inspirational leader and really important mentor to a lot of dietitians that have been on the show so far. So you obviously did a fantastic job. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so um, I imagine that collaboration and teamwork are quite important aspects of your role, as you alluded to earlier. So how do you build successful teams? Well, that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, I... I certainly think that um, what I try to do, I guess, is uh, what I call pull my weight. I um, I like to um, do a good job. I like to deliver on time and deliver what I said I would do. So, you know, in terms of working in a team, I like to be an active participant in the team and not just sit there. And I, I do think it's important to uh, not take over, not tell everybody what to do all the time, acknowledge others, and I also teach, uh, although I haven't been teaching uh, some of these topics of more recent years, but I've always taught um, to lead from behind. So um, my personal thing is, uh, you know, I do 
grunt work. I do work that people don't want to do. I do the unpleasant jobs, but I personally always accept responsibility for my decisions. And in a team where people are in unequal power relationships, I always try very hard to protect uh, junior people. So I always accept responsibility for um, something that's gone wrong, regardless of who actually made the mistake. So if a team, I work with, for example, the student admin team here in the school where we deal with all student issues uh, that relate to things. And if there's, been a, if there's been a mistake or whatever, I always say, you just tell everybody that I made the decision, I made the mistake. So that I said, you know, so they're protected. And what I think that does is that it um, allows people to be more confident in what they're doing um, so that they can build up skill base. So I actually don't like, like I don't think teams should be blaming individuals for things that they might be doing wrongly. Okay, so that sounds like you take more of a proactive approach then when things go pear-shaped. Oh, when they go pear-shaped, I do. And in the international field where it's very, very difficult, I always um, uh, I always say, well, I'm sorry I didn't explain that correctly. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, like I always take that kind of a role. Otherwise, it all goes. And I really try hard in the international arena where I'm working with people who don't have English as their first language to make sure that... Uh, I include and hear all the voices, as I call them. I listen to the voices and try to um, and try to work with people, even though I might think other things about them. Okay, so you were talking about doing the grunt work. So, on that note, what do you most enjoy or find most rewarding about your current role or even your past roles? Oh well, I like uh, many people. I um, I I do the thing to make a difference, and I like to um, I like to do a good job, and I like to do things which are challenging and interesting. And as a result, I mean, really, I um, I could do anything. So when I was a student and I had to work in factories in my holidays, you know, I used to feel I used to feel bottles of hand cream, a thing called oil of Yulan in the days, now called Olay. And that is not a very um, interesting job. And so what I did there was I said, right, I could fill, you know, let's say 10 dozen this hour, I'll fill 10 dozen and one the next hour and 10 dozen and two the hour after, things like that to, to help things get going. So as a result, I actually don't mind doing many things as a, as a direct result of, well, this isn't important, someone has to do it. And I do think that, you know, and certainly in the hospital area, you hear all the time about doctors and nurses and you never hear the fact that if the cleaners weren't there, the hospital would have to close. If there was no clean linen, the hospital would have to close. You know, that simply you have to recognise value in, in everything, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, I agree with that, definitely. So given that you are an internationally renowned dietitian, what do you think are the most important characteristics of a great leader? Well, you know, I do think uh, being resilient, uh, I've actually thought about this. I'm going, you know, I am very, very resilient. And I actually think it's been one of the key reasons I've been able to bounce back after really, you know, terrible things that happen every now and then and keep trying 
But I do think, you know, having vision, having determination, persevering, you know, being a good communicator uh, or being prepared to learn good communication skills, you know, having a lot of knowledge. And in dietetics, I think having a high level of knowledge and expertise I think is important. But I also think if you're going to be... um, critical of the system or of others you have to be prepared to step up and put your money where your mouth is so you know so to speak so that you're not just um you know sitting on this we call it throwing rocks you know standing around the outside chucking rocks at the people doing things or trying to make a difference i think the leaders go into the circle and go let's change from within rather than you know, saying, oh, they should do this or they do that. So I do think there are some um, characteristics you can learn easily, but there are others. I think you've got to have your eye on the bigger game and the eye on the long-term goal. Mm -hmm. And to get there, you do need to be resilient. So what do you think are opportunities for dietitians in the next decade? Well, I've just given a little talk at the 40th anniversary for QT on uh, the future for dietetics um, and what, I, what my little crystal ball thinks. I actually think there are great opportunities, but they are not what sometimes current students see as the be-all and end-all. And I guess that comes from, like, what is a dietitian? And, like, what are the skill sets that dietitians have? So the new competencies for Australia are actually far-reaching and are very much broader, shall we say. I've been working on the international competencies. Uh, They're much more traditional and narrow, and they are so because people are not ready internationally to make the step. We work on uh, on common ground and agreement. So there are some differences. But here in Australia, you know, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS, has a great opportunity. But it's going to take a little bit of oomph because when the person has the right to spend their money how they choose, we need to make sure they choose nutrition rather than choosing I don't know, pet therapy, for example, or something else. So I do think that. I think the increase in chronic disease really is a real opportunity, but, again, we're going to have to lift our game if we want to do well in that area. But this e-business, Dietitian Connection, is an interesting example of a new way of doing business. But I do think the opportunities in terms of the more traditional approaches aren't, uh, you know, the very traditional um, uh, treatments are, are going to be less into the future. And I say that because medical technologies and uh, treatments are changing. Uh, I think the challenge for us is getting people to change their lifestyle and that is not going to be easy. So what do you think dietitians need to do to stand out from the crowd? We've got what I call two philosophies driving dietetics. One is if in doubt, cut it out. And one is don't restrict till you have to. Now, I'm obviously the latter of these. The former of these is the risk-averse person. They're so scared of 
something, I don't know what, but whatever it is they're scared of, so they even don't cut everything out and they're negative and they are scared and they, they don't have a, uh, they don't, they don't take a decisions which they consider might, you know, be even remotely controversial and the like. So I do think you've got to get over that. I think we've got to get some of the risk aversion out and understand risk a lot better. So I think we also need, as dietitians, they need to be much more confident in what you know, what you can do, where you can make the impact, what you can, you know, how you can get on. And I, and I think to do that, I'm actually saying at the moment people need far more information, far more knowledge. It's got to be both broader and deeper. And it's got to, you've got to know far more than people can just quickly pick up off the internet. So, you know, we don't want Dr. Google driving what people choose to do. We want we want them to say, oh, I don't understand this. I need to seek someone who can really navigate the information for me. Oh, gosh, that's a dietitian. Okay, so are you saying that we need to stand out as the experts and be confident in our knowledge and expertise? Well, I don't have a problem with people using the word expert if they are expert. I don't like people saying they're an expert and said, uh, but I won't do anything because I'm, uh, uh, you know, an expert is, is not something you label yourself. It's what other people label you. So it is, oh, go and see Kate. She's really expert in this. She really helped and she really made a difference. That's what we want to see if you want to stand out. Hopefully one day. <laughs> but dietitians are really good problem solvers and they're really good. Um, uh, we, you know, dietetics is a, is a very uh, broad field in itself and that's one of our challenges so, you know, you have to be good at physical sciences, at um, biological sciences, at nutrition sciences, at food sciences, at communication sciences, at social science. And to be good across that many fields is quite challenging. So, you know, you, we, need a, we, need, um, we need a lot of depth of understanding across all of those you know, and to me, into the future, we need far more behavioural sciences. We There's no place in the future for what I call cookbook dietetics. Cookbook dietetics is you open the page and you go, person has diabetes, therefore you do this, 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 this. And you don't think, you know, um, into the future we're going to have to have Let's look at the person. Let's look at the nutrition diagnosis. Let's think about the person's life. Let's think about the holistic approach. How can I help you? What would you like? What do you want to get out of our session? What do you want me to help you with? Very different approach. That will be how we practice into the future. I must say, Sandra, whenever we've had a conversation, I always walk away feeling like I've learned more. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wisdom. And of course, you always have lots of really interesting things to talk about. No problem. And for all of our listeners, we'll have a little bit more information about Sandra and some additional resources available on our show notes. And that'll be at dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. 
Also, a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, could you please leave a review for us as well as pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends? And also make sure that you are subscribed to the Dietitian Connection podcast so that you can automatically download the new episode each week and so that you don't miss out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time for another fantastic episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast.